we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Ale to the King. Dun, 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 Welcome back to Stone Mountain Media. This is Dave here with Sean and a guest, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. How are you doing? Hey, Sean. Hey. I'm just as surprised, I think, probably even more surprised than many of our listeners at some of the interest to this podcast. It's Don't really enjoyable just getting to sit here and just behold what's going to happen. Don't even know why you're surprised <laughs> at this point. So let's start with uh, first things first. Number one, the stupid cannot hear this truth. To him unknown. To him unknown. Number two, threw a curveball this morning, went to Planned Parenthood. First time. Yeah. First time for everything. So we were there and we had some, I think particularly good uh, interactions. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about them. Let me close this window real quick. Cool. Ambient noise. We are very particular. About our audio quality. About our audio quality. We have a great brother who had me on for a podcast and an ambience went by like, I think like three miles away and he somehow heard it and then we, we stopped talking for a second. He's like, oh, I'll edit that out. And I was like, dude, what am I doing right now? Is this how people do podcasts? This guy is a professional I have been listening to Rush Limbaugh following, uh, well, particularly following the events at Capitol Hill on the 6th, and he had, he, he was just out for two weeks with some medical issue, health issue, and so I think it was his first show back, and he talked about Trump getting out of uh, orifice, <laughs> and then he corrected and said office 10 seconds later, yeah. but he used it. The next day as a clip. So I got to hear two days in a row, nice. Rush Limbaugh talking about Trump receding from the orifice. Nice. Uh, that anyways, is a good segue to a lot of our conversations of, at yeah, Planned Parenthood. Talk to us about Planned Parenthood this morning. Uh, so I don't know if it's the the fruit of shift change with the San Diego Police Department, which just took place. So we have uh, every time there's a shift change, there's going to be new people there on our Saturday that we're going to be interacting with. And so they're going to, I think we see a lot early on in the shift, kind of them establishing how they're going to deal with us on a, on a, on any given Saturday. And we had a sergeant come by while I was preaching. Uh, I just kept preaching the gospel while you, Dave, talked with him. And uh, I did like though, uh, he, his instinct was that you were in charge because you wanted to talk about the mic. Mm -hmm. So he kept saying, you know, I don't know who's in charge of, of the amp because that's particularly what I want to talk about. Is that guy in charge? I think he asked me like three or four times. Uh-huh. 
And I, and I said, uh, I think at one point I just said, yeah, he or I. <laughs> Either way. I didn't want you to get interrupted. Yeah. I think it's the mustache. The mustache is could, a power stash. Could be. Uh, so he, you had a decent interaction with him, it sounds like. Uh, it was basically, a great you know, established. He, he was kind of pressing, you know, you guys are talking to these, these individuals coming by. They're right, the ramp that you guys are, that they're going to access to Planned Parenthood is right in front of you. And so really no need to be on the mic because the mic's just disturbing the public around. And from what you told me, it sounds like that interaction from your end was basically just a not, not simply for the sake of annoyance, uh, but we, we don't want there to be any peace here. That's right. Yeah. So uh, he seems to receive that decently well, at least understood the philosophy of the thing. Well, yeah, he, he did not come like Vetter uh, with mm-hmm. a lot of emotion, a lot of intensity. He was very respectful. He, before he got out of the car, waited a little bit to see what we were about. And which was interesting because uh, it's connected to another story, but there was something particularly tense happening at the time. It was a nonverbal, but it was tense. So he, uh, he was watching that, comes out calm, collected, looking to be reasonable. And I made it very clear with him that uh, we had different goals. And so we were not going to arrive at the same strategy mm-hmm. in pursuing those different goals. Um, and he understood that that was a reasonable uh, distinction, disagreement, and not one where I was just trying to make his day hard or, right. or whatnot. And even, yeah, understood in a way where we're by the end of it talking about establishing his MO going forward on the shift. He, he made it clear without saying it expressly that he wasn't going to be a problem for us speaking, right. but that he anticipated having officers stationed there when we were there. Which was uh, his way of four hours safe. Which was his way of telling you that's what was exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he he posted up a, a two man unit right on the corner, which we've never had for. We've had uh, a few times where they at least just sat in their car for, I'd say, a majority of our time preaching. Well, to but, figure out if they wanted to cause us problems. Right. But we've never had two guys out of the car standing watching us for an entire morning, which is what we had today. And sounds like from what the sergeant was saying, that was the fruit of uh, particularly emotional, volatile uh, calls into the police department regarding the preaching this morning. Yeah. Uh, it was following, you know, multiple neighbors coming out of their doors or windows and yelling at us. And- right. Yeah. Uh, people very frustrated, literally saying, you know, uh, if you want to save a life, you want to be about it, put a mask on. That's how you can save a baby. You know, people walking, that's, that's our society today is people walking past Planned Parenthood, babies literally being slaughtered, thrown in dumpsters behind the building. And you're telling me to put a piece of cloth over my mouth. There was an old guy wearing athletic garb, a little bit bow-legged, but seemed to be in decent shape. And he walked past uh, the guys. You were one of them, but the guys up the hill. I was Uh at the bottom of the hill. In between us were the ladies. Mm -hmm. So he walks past this first group of guys, doesn't say a thing, no eye contact. Comes abreast of the ladies, turns, squares up with them, and starts scolding them for not having masks. I'm like, okay, hey, look, if you're going <laughs> yeah. to scold somebody, don't talk to these ladies. You can talk to yeah. one of the guys. Okay? Yep. You're, you are a choice word for only thinking to talk when you're going to talk to the isolated group of girls. Right. We had a woman at one point this morning run out, and uh, one of our brothers, Alex, who's always down there with us, saw that the nurse was uh, right there with her. And so she had like run out, and it seemed like the nurse was trying to keep her in. There was some kind of tension there. And so we thought maybe uh, – 
the preaching had, had pricked her in, 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 enough by God's grace to cause her to run out and not murder her child. Uh, and then we basically saw her chain smoke a few cigarettes and build up the courage uh, in her own mind to, to go back in there and, and probably finish the deed. Uh, so that was kind of a, a high into a low, uh, but it was, you know, praise God, I think the preaching of his word was evident there in terms of the way that it was uh, affecting the way that she was operating. I don't think she would have gone out there for multiple cigarettes to run right back in uh, if it was just a Saturday where, you know, she could believe peace, peace when there's no peace. Yeah, the preaching, I think, was particularly affecting a lot of people today. The security guards were extra agitated. Yep. Um, men dropping their women off were extra agitated. Yep. More on that in a second. Neighbors were extra agitated. Yeah, the, Some coming over to us, right. identifying as Christians or otherwise. Some yelling from their balconies. And uh, I was joking with Kyle that the – well, actually, he said uh, that the cheapest rent in town was in their heads. In their heads, <laughs> yeah. in their heads, not sorry, not sorry, not sorry. Interestingly, too, uh, you know, we have a lot of interactions with a sodomite couple that live on the second floor right next to Planned Parenthood, uh, pretty much the closest room to the mic. Yeah. And uh, praise God, uh, huge blessing is the, the new amplifier we have. I noticed it when Lance was preaching today, but we had, with the old amp we had, it was a legitimate battle when they would crank their music, and now with the new amp, uh, they're drowned out very easily. Uh, so praise God for that. But their interaction, interestingly enough, when a guy is in a moment uh, and just wants to put down another guy, the quickest thing to do is to make gay jokes. Mm-hmm. And literally a gay guy was resorting to gay jokes and meant them as an insult, which he's done before, but uh, they were extra flavorful today, uh, which I think was indicative of kind of the the way the whole morning went. We did have one woman, praise God, who walked out and uh, talked with our our buddy's wife, and it sounds like she... So the build-up to that did not... Is you were finishing preaching? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is when I yelled at you to keep going, right? Right. They... I don't know if they did a circle around the block, but they, they pulled up and they parked around the corner. Okay. So they, so they positioned themselves to have to go through the gauntlet. It looked like father and daughter. Gotcha. I'm pretty confident father and daughter. Okay. Based on the dynamics and the age difference. And, and it what <clears throat> they interact like they were family. Um, and so they, they parked right on the corner where I'm standing, right as the sergeant is also pulling up on the corner. Okay. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure they were in their vehicle the entire interaction. Yeah, they were. So once they park there and I look at them, I know they're going inside. Right. And uh, so, you know, it was some, at some point in, in this unfolding that you stopped and then kicked back on because we want to make sure that they're hearing Christ crucified as they're going around that corner. Right. Uh, the guy, I thought, was, was more <clears throat> full of animosity Based on his eye contact, it was the I'm going to hold eye contact aggressively kind uh-huh. of thing. And the, the daughter seemed very uncertain about herself. So I've got the big sign. Zach's got a couple signs. Babies are murdered here. We'll adopt your baby. I have one sign. On one side says it, it shows a, a, a baby in the womb and your baby has a name. And the other side shows a, a murdered baby mm-hmm. laid out on a dollar bill. 
and it says something like more than a clump of cells or a clump of cells, something like that. Yeah. Making, uh, you know, show, exposing the emptiness of the rhetoric. Yeah. And so I would just alternate between the images uh, and, and I just, without talking to them, I just stood there looking at them because they were giving me a ton of eye contact. Mm-hmm. So I figured my eyes would say a lot and the sign would say a lot. And so I kept flipping it and then providentially, your daughter was quite fascinated with the, the baby side. Right. So she, she got in the mood to like run over to me and give me like a, a veggie straw or run over and give me a high five or run over and touch the baby and say baby mm-hmm. and talk about uh, you, you know, your child in your wife's womb. Yep. And, and it's all happening in front of this girl who has not gotten out of the car, uh, out of her van. So, uh, you know, something's going on, right? So I'm thinking, yeah. shoot, there's a chance here. Because she has been in that car for a long time, mm-hmm. has not gotten out, sitting there. Next thing you know, speaking of chain smoking, she and her dad start chain smoking. She's, lo- she's looking at that sign. She's thinking. They're talking. She's stressed out. After all of that, and so at this point you have girl up the hill chain smoking. She's chain smoking. I'm chain smoking while preaching. <laughs> it was awesome. But you were chain smoking like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> she gets out of the van. Has to convince her dad to get out of the van. He's not getting out huh. of the van. Which is is like the first odd thing. Right. If I'm reading him as a guy with animosity. Right. As they're walking up to the corner, you're now on the gospel, they're walking up to the corner. She does not have eyes with a lot of fire. Like she's not looking to give me a middle finger or anything like that. And I just ask her to please not go in there. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. Everything that needs to be said has been said with that sign. Right. In terms of the actual situation with the baby. Uh, and she walked past, but was not as hardened as a lot of girls. Yeah. And it, her dad walks past, they go inside. Uh, everyone pled with them, pleaded, pled, drink, drunk, drink, and um, the the guy goes back to the van after a bit, and then he comes out while Lance is preaching, mm-hmm. and he stands on the corner and starts looking at Lance. And my instinct, I start walking over to him, I introduce myself, and then he's just looking at Lance, and I realize he's he's he got out of his van to stand on the corner and listen to the preaching. Mm. I asked him, are you listening to that? And he said, he nodded his head. So I stopped talking to him. I just stood there close to him and he stood there listening to Lance. And then next thing you know, girl comes out. I look at this guy, eyes lit with joy. Now he's obviously not doing his job. His job is to not take his right. daughter to Planned Parenthood. Well, yeah, yeah. But, There's a lot of things going on there. But. Yeah, but you see real joy, real relief cross his face. He does some hand gesture that looks like a semi-committed genuflection. Uh And I ask him, did she not do it? And he looks at me and gives me like a half nod. Mm -hmm. She comes out, walks up to to Alex and starts starts talking with her about different options and whatnot. Yeah. I think like squeezed Alex's arm, gave her a big smile when Alex asked her if the baby was alive. Yep. She chose life. Yeah. So praise God for that. That was a huge encouragement. Yeah. Uh, last interaction I'll talk about unless, win. unless you have another one for me to talk about before you talk about the good interaction you had with the 
the gentleman who is uh, doesn't deserve the mustache he has. Um, but uh, the police officers were standing on the corner, and so we had an opportunity. And they were listening to preaching too, by the way. Yeah. Any uh, <laughs> anyone who's taken the time to stand out there long enough and be <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not going to stand out there and have any kind of uh, quote unquote neutrality or uh, affirmative stance towards Planned Parenthood and not get preached at by us. It's just not how we roll. So we're not, you know, we, we try to be faithful with the people that God puts in front of us. And so at some point or another, and to some degree, the security guards are gonna get straight gospel to them applied to their situation, right? The doctors, those inside are gonna get straight gospel and straight law applied to their situation. And so these police officers were there and we had, uh, you know, we even, we preached, to them about this, but you had people, uh, you know, pulling by with Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, painted on the back of their cars. The same people who are, if not there themselves, at least supportive of you know, those riots where uh, I was there. People get, you know, rocks are thrown at police officers. Uh, people getting, you know, spit in their face from these individuals, or at least from individuals these people support. Patrol officers getting doxed. Doxed. Yeah. Um on particular sites, their personal information being oh, big being time. put out yeah. for the purpose of right. intimidation. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that's that's the dynamic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, legit, dude. I didn't know there was riots for being not peaceful. But hey, uh, who said that protests had to be peaceful or non-aggressive? All right, this is the voice of the unheard. <laughs> you know, when when you are of a group that's unheard. Riot is your language. Mm-hmm. It's how you become heard. Mm-hmm. So, or we hold whites to a different standard than blacks because you can't expect that much from blacks, you know, because they're animals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're more given to emotionalism because of the shape of their skull. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they riot, they're just being blacks. But when whites do it, Whoa. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Margaret Sanger would probably say, yeah, that makes sense. So. so but uh, we're, we're looking at the, uh, we're looking at the interactions taking place with, we're looking at the interactions taking place with the police officers and these people who, you know, Monday through Friday, hate them. And here's even one guy, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's one guy who was giving them a hard time just about them being police officers. But other than that one guy who's just seemed to be, you know, Dead the, set on the guy who was who was slouching. Yeah, he was giving them a hard yeah, time. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. I thought he was. No, so uh, he was giving he was giving them a hard time just for being police officers and basically, you know, he was just telling them they're worthless. Nice and slouchy and man. <laughs> the, yeah, and the funny thing is, you know, we're a very pro police group. Uh, and yes, but, yes, and so, but we're not. Uh, oh, we're getting to a spot where that might change, but right, I have the utmost. Uh, genuinely, I don't know what they're about religiously speaking. All three of the officers, sergeant and the two patrol officers, utmost respect for them. They were respectful to me. I wanted them to do more, but I understand the constraints of the job. They're not going to take action against Planned Parenthood. They did their job commendably. A plus. Love having them in my community. Yeah. So they, Good men. Yeah, they did a great job. And, and we're, the, we're the pro-police group. But now you have this group who is not pro-police, right? Monday through Friday is saying all kinds of stuff, liking all kinds of posts on social media regarding police brutality and all this stuff. Uh, eating up the rhetoric of the left 
And, uh, you know, not wanting these guys to get paid the way that they get paid, not wanting them to have job security, not wanting them to have protections under the law. By pro-police, we're not talking about CHP, right? Police. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I, I often conflate the two because of the letter P. Yeah. But that's patrol. It's just, yeah, it's highway traffic. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Highway traffic officers, I don't know. I honestly get so. kind of leftist in my mind when I, when I see CHP behind me on the interstate. Yeah. I'm a little worked <laughs> up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Get a real job. You don't have to go left. You can go far right. <laughs> sovereign oh, right, citizen. Baby. <laughs> sovereign citizen. You have no right to pull me over. I was going your speed. But uh, just in front of you. <laughs> you know, as, as I'm watching this, I think you were preaching at the time. And I'm watching these interactions take place one after another. These people going by. Thank you guys so much for what you do. Talking to the officers. And I'm thinking, I, you know, one of them in particular had the Black Lives Matter on the, on the rear of their – on the rear window of their car. And uh, – I'm just thinking, uh, this is this is Psalm two in a nutshell. You know, this is this is the heathen raging, people people imagining a vain thing, uh, and all the people of the earth setting themselves together. Right, all the heathen setting themselves together against the Lord and against His anointed. Right, when it comes to the preaching of Christ for the unbeliever, uh, everyone's ready to rock up with each other. Sanhedrin, Edomite king, Romans. Yep. What are they going to have to do with one another? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we've got one thing in common. Yep. We hate Christ. Yep. Uh, we don't want him to be Lord. Uh, these guys are preaching very plainly that he is Lord of all. He's crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's commanding something of me, namely repentance from my sin and faith or eternal hell. And when that becomes the message, uh, all kinds of people who have all kinds of disagreements find uh, a common ground from which to, to operate, from which to stand against the Lord and against his people, against his preachers. And so uh, as much as we do respect those officers in the general way that they conducted themselves, you know, the first, uh, the first point in the mission statement for the San Diego Police Department is to protect life. And so we're not pro-police uh, arbitrarily or, or in a way that uh, has no qualifications. My mother, drunk or sober. <laughs> We're not going to be we're not going to be pro police as they stand against the slaughter of children. So uh, they have a duty there. God's going to hold those guys accountable. Yep. Uh, they can't just stand there. They can't do that. So I understand. I understand constraints, right? We don't we don't rock up to the doors and charge in there to get shot by some guy in the back and be done. And not necessarily because we're saying that that's well, the un- cops could. Uh, yeah, they could, but uh, probably not for very long. Another cop would get called and. And that'd be over pretty quick. But in terms I reckon of, you could get in and out. Maybe with one. But in terms of a strategy of like taking the place down, right? We know that that's, they're not going to necessarily have that yes. opportunity. So strategically, it's a different thing. But they, they can't stand there. Do you know um, Randy Thomas? Mm-hmm. Um, he is from Texas, an anti-abortion preacher. Oh, Ch- yes, I do. Charismatic Baptist, son Jeremiah. Yeah. 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 So... I started street preaching in Louisville. There's only one abortion clinic in the whole state of Kentucky, and it's in Louisville, and it stayed open through the Christian governorship of Matt Bevan, who, Lord knows, probably had his election stolen from him. Uh, but he didn't do enough to shut it down. Anyway, Randy Thomas rocks up with a whole squad. One of them, I think, was an Auschwitz survivor, and they all just sit in front of the... It's not a Planned Parenthood. It's It's... An EMW clinic, whatever that stands for. <clears throat> and they all sat in front of the doors to not let anyone in. They interposed for those children. Mm-hmm. And so the, the police show up 
and, and Randy's this kind of guy. He's wearing like tight jeans, big leather belt, belt buckle, big cowboy hat. Big dude. Big frame. The kind of guy that can put his hand on your shoulder and say, son, and you're automatically going to start listening. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You could go from like intense Ray Lewis, Brian Dawkins to like I'm, I'm crying and like the most gentle guy in the room. So that's my, that's my take on Randy Thomas. I've never met the guy. <laughs> I was there. I was there. Yeah. But I ne- didn't talk to him. Gotcha. So the, the police show up and arrest him and, and the others with him. And the whole time, I remember he, he was talking right to the guy who was arresting him. He said, son, you don't have to do this. Son, you could join us. Do your job, son. You don't have to do this. So that, that uh, officer is lucky that uh, Randy was already in handcuffs because if he got that hand on the shoulder, it would have been over. Over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> sir, I'm sorry, sir. So, can I get out, get out of handcuffs for just a moment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, was the, that was the interaction with the officers. Got an opportunity to preach to them and... Uh, remind them that uh, their job, you know, there's officers that just rest in uh, rest in law. And so they see settled law in a state and they think that there's a righteousness to simply uh, enforcing laws because they've been established. They don't have to think. Yeah. And so uh, they feel like they're safe. They're in a safe place there. And the reality is uh, God holds each of us accountable for our works and all of our works are judged according to his law. So you can you can rest in the laws of California all you want, but you're resting in the laws, uh, many laws created by uh, a man in Gavin Newsom and men from before him, uh, but he supports all the, all the wickedness that we have today. Uh, but a man who uh, praises uh, legislation that slaughters children, uh, God doesn't delight in that. And so, uh, you know, those officers need to be reminded that, you know, they have a judge, he's in heaven, and uh, they only are allowed to enforce in terms of being a righteous police officer those laws which are in accordance with the law of God. Going back to the interaction with the sergeant, uh, telling him that part of my goal, not as an in and of itself, but part of my goal was to agitate the entire neighborhood every time yeah. I was there. Yeah. You know, think of the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, you agitator of Jerusalem, you agitator of Israel, you troubler of Israel, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what the prophets were accused of. But we, we uh, like the Jonathan Lehmans of Christianity, want to make sure we don't over overspend our cultural capital on frivolous things. Yeah, and, and when you get out there, you realize that there is, that's such a, a fallacious term. The second that uh, the truth of, of God is put to the unbeliever, there's... Oh, there's just, there's vileness. There's animosity towards us, right? Uh, I made like a very slight comment to these officers that if they were cued into it, which I think they were, uh, tipped them off that I was also an officer uh, or at least knew what they were about. And uh, those guys think I'm a joke. They think I'm crazy. Uh, they think I'm over the top, uh, unloving. Uh, everyone walking by thinks that we were, you know, self-righteous, disgusting men with no right to be out there to tell women what to do. You know, you get out there and you preach the truth of God in that situation. <laughs> what you, cultural capital are you talking you about? You effing white man talking about women's choice. Uh, you can't get pregnant, so you wouldn't even know where to start. Pergamonment. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the reality is once you're out there and once the truth is laid bare, uh, it's just, it's, it's a sharp division 
I don't know. I don't know what that kind of cultural capital even is. I really don't want any of it. I don't. I don't really. I don't need their respect. I don't want their respect. I need to fear God and I need to preach His word. Right? If I'm failing there, we have a. It's a totally different conversation. If I'm not preaching the word, but the word was very faithfully preached today, and cultural capital was the furthest thing from even a possibility with those people because uh, they're enemies of God, and they're standing uh, together as best they can, trying to. Uh, coddle one another into some kind of false security as children are slaughtered. This is, you know, this is like next level stuff, you know, not, not even just out on a Friday night partying and we're talking to them about drunkenness or something like that. And we're talking about the slaughter of children, cultural capital. I was just, we're just going to preach the word. It's like Chamberlain going to Hitler to get the, the peace deal signed. Like, Oh yeah, we're good. Come back. We made a deal. And Hitler just comes and takes in, takes over, kills them all. That's why we can't make that that cultural capital is irrelevant. Yeah. Back to Rush Limbaugh, which I take great pleasure in citing him twice now on this episode. Oh my gosh, that redneck listens to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> he had this, honestly, she was so sharp. This lady called in. I was very impressed with her uh, ability to think and communicate. Very impressive woman. And... Uh, she said, we need to remember this Churchill quote. It's not time to negotiate when your head is in the tiger's jaws. Yeah. Not time to negotiate, Neville. That's what Neville did. He just... Not time. Came back with an arbitrary piece of paper. And so the, probably the best interaction or the, the spiciest interaction, as our professional brother would say, Shout out to Weichel, reformed, <laughs> operator, reformed operator. If you're looking for something similar but just better, we would recommend Reformed Operator. <laughs> similar theology, better production, better man. Better reformed man, Operator. Better voice, better commentary, thoughts, hands. <laughs> I better mustache. Yeah, so uh, spiciest interaction of the day. Spicy! Hit us with it. Hey, by the way, speaking of spicy, yeah. I had my first chimichanga this week. Okay. Wow. Got tipped in a chimichanga. Uh-huh. You're taking something I already love. You're deep frying that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> I am 30 years old. <laughs> I just had my first chimichanga. Dadgummit. Where so are nice. the chimichangas? <laughs> and it was a white lady who made it for me. Wow. I know. I'm, I'm basically living in Mexico, and a white woman gives me my first chimichanga. So anyway, leave it to us to deep fry that thing. That, that makes sense, honestly. <laughs> Bro, you know those Mexican ladies deep frying everything. Yeah. They funny. make refried beans. It's funny though. All right. Is refried beans American or Mexican? I don't know. Mexican. You sure? No, Is but it authentic? I feel it. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's like fajitas. Based on some Fajita of our day. sisters and their like repulsiveness when I break out the can of refried beans, I think it's a homemade Mexican thing. Cool. Cool. They're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> I, feel, I feel more grounded now in life. Yeah. Uh, so this guy, <laughs> really funny. I, if I remember right, correct me if, if my image of him is wrong. I got a guy with long black hair, long mm. curly black hair. Yeah. I think freshly washed. Looked a little damp, to be honest. Could have put it up in a towel. Uh, you know, black graphic tee. Couldn't see it until later. Because his use of the mask was arbitrarily on and off. But he had a mask initially, big black mask. But he also had a white mustache underneath the mask. Thick. 
And his woman had a black graphic tee, so they kind of matching, maybe like a, a band duo of, of sorts. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think her hair was really short and she looked emotionally gothic, which I don't know if it was her pre-mourning for the child she was about to murder or just her style. Uh, but uh, he takes her in, I think chirps a little bit at one of the wives, at, yeah. at your wife, which, so he walks past me, <laughs> walks past Kyle, walks past all the guys, doesn't talk to any of the guys, and is cursing out your wife uh, because yeah. he is a bee, right? See what I did there? <laughs> and uh, so then he comes back out and, you know. She told him uh, she couldn't hear him because of his mask. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's funny. Uh, if I learned anything today, it's your wife is better than me at birds. Yeah. So I'm not playing that game. Anyway, <laughs> he's walking past and, you know, he's just saying F you, F you, F you, something like that. And I start chirping at him. He's chirping back. Um, you know, I, I asked him if he got past the third grade because his vocabulary was pretty limited. He said, oh, have you got past something? <laughs> I looked at I looked at one of the officers. I'm like, dang, man. I don't know how to come that's back like, from that. I'm going to have to retire. Makes sense because like that's what – if you're if you're in that moment, right? You're chirping back and forth. You got to come back with like the same the same line, but better. Mm-hmm. So he just, I'm sure in his mind, went real quick to like, did you make it past? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I didn't expect to get stuck here. <laughs> so anything, <laughs> which which saved me because you know I'm not great, but I would get into that back and forth with uh, some of the like ten-year-old boys in Scotland, uh-huh. and there was this one boy in particular, super cheeky. He would destroy me. Uh, you know, we would like do like the your mama thing, uh-huh. and like yo mama so fat, and I would get too too deep, uh-huh. and then just be standing there taking it in the face <laughs> for a good five minutes from this kid. I don't think he took a breath in five minutes. He was just hitting me, hitting me, hitting me. Never so, did I think I could cry so much. Yeah, I just crawled up in the fetal position. That's the only time he left. It just got awkward for everyone. But anyway, this guy... And I called my mom. This guy tapped out before I had to tap out, which I was grateful for. Got to laugh at him. And, uh, you know, Kyle is probably twice my height. Mm-hmm. And, like, where I have folds, he has muscle. So when he walks... It kind of just naturally exudes, I'm more of a man than you kind of thing. So he like took two steps towards the guy and the guy who, you know, looks like he probably is a weekend. Two steps, hands in, hands in pockets. Hands in pockets, pockets, two steps to the guy. He immediately looks at one of the cops and he's like, he walks across the street to the cops. That man just walked aggressively towards me. So Kyle and I Which, were dying laughing. Even in California is not a crime. Correct. Correct. So... I start mocking him, you know. Oh, he walked aggressively towards me. Yeah. You know, we're doing that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm a full body impersonation kind of deal. And, you know, anyway, he... The cops got some giggles. They, yeah. They were, they were giggles. Sergeant's still there. Sergeant, two officers. They're walking, you know. The one officer looks at me with, like, pleading eyes. Because like, <laughs> he just had a shift change. He is exhausted. He yeah. got off midnight. And then he's back on in the morning. Yep. And when would he have started his shift? Zero six. Okay. So yeah, dude is exhausted. They've already dealt with uh, uh, a robbery. Uh, yeah, robbery. So they've, they've had like a busy morning. Don't know if they had to take paper on it, but they caught the girl. So they've, they've had busyness. He's looking at me like, 
would you please keep distance? Because the guy was like yelling about six feet, which is, I don't think is a law or anything. I could have gone yeah. up on him. But uh, I was like, yeah, sure, man. You know, I'll keep, I'll keep my social distance, whatnot. And so we're, we're talking um, and I'm, I'm asking him, yeah, I'm going to my like, my classic, where's your baby? That kind of stuff. You know, because uh, he's left his woman in there to kill his child. So I'm asking him where his baby is. I'm asking him what the name of his kid is because I want to have a memorial for his child. I'm telling him about what Jesus is thinking about him, how Jesus sees, you know, all that Jesus stuff because I'm a Christian and whatnot. And uh, he goes up to his truck, pretty cool brown F-150 with a sweet uh, shell on the bed. Mm-hmm. Pretty legit. And he goes into the driver's door and takes a hatchet out. Scratching Starts scratching his head with a hatchet. So I'm letting him know, I'm, I'm right here, come on down, you know, let's dance kind of thing. And, you know, he's doing it right in front of the While that was happening too, I just, I don't know if you heard this part, but I was, uh, the white officer mm-hmm. was right next to me. And I just said, hey, like, you're seeing this, right? He's like, what? He said, what? <laughs> like, he didn't see it. And I was like, he's like, he's got a hatchet. I was like, just so you know where we're coming from. I was like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna press charges. We're not those guys at all. Just recognize the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Recognize who we are and who he is. I, I just wanted him to be cued into the story. I heard that because I was walking past you as I was yeah. walking up the hill towards him. Yeah. While I, I, had the I was like very clearly like, listen, we're not going to be a problem for you. We're not going to be like generating work for you guys. But just recognize the dynamic. Recognize who we are, who he is in this dynamic. Right? We're the preachers. We're preaching the gospel. And we're letting this guy know the reality of what's going on. He's the one inciting violence. Yeah. It's sheathed. It's sheathed. If he, yeah, if he pulls a hatchet out and scratches his head, that's not a, a crime, is it? No, I just wanted him to know it's bordering on a crime. Display like uh, four seventeen, like displaying a, a weapon with intent to harm, kind of thing. Got it. Um, so when I take my hands out of my pockets, is it the intent thing that makes that not a crime? It's more like when Kyle takes his hands out of his pockets, which is why, which is why top? when Kyle's walking up to you, even with hands in pockets, it's kind of threatening. Aggressive. Oh, and at that time, he's looking at Kyle with his, like, I'm a crazy Mexican face. Uh, you know, thinking, like, he's probably watched Sicario or something, so he's got, like, he's trying to, he's trying to channel, like, right. a, I'm a crazy pendejo. Right. And, uh, you know, he's like, I'm in a gang. You know, you know Pete, Peter, how he's like, I'm going to get my brothers, they're going to kick your yeah. butt. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm in a gang, we're going to come, we're going to follow you home, we're going to kill you. You know, he's saying stuff like that. That's a, and that's a clear sign of a guy that you don't need to be afraid of at all. Yeah, so I told him my schedule. Well, I'm he can, here. He can follow me home. Eight, o- eight o'clock. <laughs> he'll, he'll yeah, out real quick. Yeah, yeah, enjoy that. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. yeah, you know, I told him every other Saturday. So in two Saturdays, you can find me here at eight o'clock. Not sharp, obviously. I'm not gonna show up on Don't time. Get crazy. Don't get crazy. Crazy. <laughs> but uh, you know, and then he. It, it was the extent of it. You know, now that's the last two times we've been there. Someone has has brandished a deadly weapon. In response to preaching the gospel, now I think uh, there's a lot of things that are going to happen in America that are going to involve violence coming up. Uh, but you know, we're close to people gunning down preachers for preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. and and I would not be surprised if someone's defense had legs in court that it was justified. At least a reduced sentence uh, or a reduced charge because uh, I was inciting with hate speech. Mm -hmm. So because I'm using hate speech, i.e. the gospel, uh, he is somehow justified. I think we're close to that. 
Would you say that Christian has a duty to uh, take those rounds without returning rounds uh, for the sake of cultural capital and the like? No, and if he wants to play that game in Idaho, uh, if he wants to pull a hatchet out in Idaho, I'm going to pull a gun on him. And if a guy wants to pull a gun on me in Idaho, I'll pull a gun on him. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, if he wants to pull a hatchet out, I'm thinking his, his swing time is not going to be good unless he is like happens to be a crazy Mexican vaquero. Otherwise, we'll dance. The trick is uh, not flicking your wrist. So, do you know how to throw a knuckleball? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> when you throw a knuckleball, you go through the same arm motion, but you don't really have a flick of the wrist. No, you don't push it. You just, you just throw through. Or you're just releasing the ball without like a flick of the wrist. Okay, you just flicked your wrist. That's how, no, that's, that was my fingers. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but you, that's basically how you want to throw an axe. You gotcha. don't want to flick it, that's going to be over rotation. You just want to come through and just release it. Gotcha. Just the arm motion, that's how we get the two, two, He didn't come off as like the, I'm a hatchet thrower. Right. It's more like a, I'm going to like try to give you the Patriot deal. But yeah. Anyway, uh, I think, uh, I've been helped in just, um, you know, in having those be back to back and realizing what's coming, coming down the pipe. Uh, you know, you can't just like Romans, uh, you, uh, and say, I like Pauline theology. You have to, you have to like Pauline theology in flesh. Paul was regularly left for dead. Yeah. Right. Peter crucified upside down. So if Paul is good enough for you to study, how much are you willing to study him? Are you willing to imitate him as he imitated Christ? Yeah. And so the choice yeah. the choice for every man is die like a dog. Death's coming for all of us. Die like a dog, whether that's as a coward in your youth or in a full diaper with your own fecal matter in old age. Die like a dog or die with glory. Because death is not the is not the option. And uh, that's been a, you know, it's been a blessing to me. Huge blessing. So, you know, it's a it's helpful in exhortation to fight sin because if you're not fighting sin, you're not going to have confidence when you're facing death. Um, that's a, confidence is a gift that Christians who are walking rightly get. Uh, we don't have workspace salvation, but uh, joy, steadfastness, courage comes from holiness. And, uh, and then, yeah, the time is coming where men will have to give an account. And uh, I'll just throw it to the next thing is... Can I say one more thing on that? Uh, yep. If you're going to change subject. But. Yeah, it's going to be a segue, but yeah. I'll segue in a second. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, just in particular, just speaking to the blessing of, of the opportunity, it'd been a, a month because they didn't have... Uh, Planned Parenthood wasn't open the day after Christmas this That's year. Right. Uh, so we, went, we were ready to go down there, but they weren't open. And so we didn't preach that week. But it is, uh, it's so easy. And you know we have a group of, of friends and... Uh, a church in general that loves theology and, uh, you know, we have Bible studies every week and all those things are great blessings, uh, but all of it gets seeded uh, so well when you are in fleshing your theology in, uh, in evangelism and taking those opportunities to have uh, face-to-face interactions with people and uh, to be hated, to be mocked, uh, scoffed at. All of that is such a huge blessing and such an encouragement in fighting sin. All that stuff gets so, so quickly gets, and we just polish it up. We just polish up Christianity, make it this uh, very edible thing. Even if we're saying controversial things in our Bible study, it's just to it's just to each other, and uh, yeah, it's just easy to get complacent. It's really easy to get complacent. Uh, we are we're sinners, and it's it's just so easy to get 
uh, you know, just week in, week out, talking theology, talking a big game. Yeah, you, be- uh, you become that, that uh, kid who's homeschooled by his mom, never, never done a day's hard labor, yeah. back-breaking, yeah. sweat, splinter, blood, yeah. calluses. You never, never had to be about it. Never right. had to face any kind of yeah. punch in the face from life. Yeah, and so it's you become soft. Yeah, and so it's just, it's just a huge grace from God to get to go out there and do that. I feel like it. Uh, I think it, it is why our group is as, as close as we are, and why we have the friendships we do, is because uh, God's granted us the opportunities to have battles like that together. And it's, yeah. uh, and not just in. It's not a. It's not a pride thing. It's not in. Not just like that. We have the opportunity to do these things and and you know puff our chest because of it, but. Uh, our our ability to fight sin and our our tenacity in doing so, I think, is so increased in getting to be out there. Uh, the need we see to love one another, to love our families, to raise our kids well, all that stuff just gets pressed in deeper and deeper every time we go out there. Uh, and it really is a blessing to to suffer. There, it's it's minimal when you're looking at a guy like Paul and comparing it. And I think you're right that uh, we probably have on the horizon more and more similarities there. But even even the opportunities that we have are such a huge blessing, and uh, yeah, just super grateful for them. Yeah, you've got I think most people um, just naively like the worst weatherman in the world, uh, going all ho hum. Oh, we trust sovereignty of the sovereignty of God. Let's just read our Bibles and pray and yeah. just keep on keeping on. Yeah, uh, and they have no idea what's coming down the pipe. They're not ready. They're not going to be ready. And uh, they'll either get washed away, blown away like chaff, or they're going to have a rude awakening and have to uh, make some quick advances in the Christian life. Um, I, I was reading Matthew Henry. I was reading Matthew Henry on 1 Samuel 5. Uh, honestly... The man. I thought you had uh, were reading my mind when you flashed me the the five right there. I was like, I got you, dude. I'm talking about first one to say the five. <laughs> and he, he was talking about how you you, you don't see um, post battle of Aphek Israelite men banding together to go rescue the Ark of the Covenant or die. Right? You didn't see them, you know, dying on the field to protect it. Nor are they banding together right. once they come to their senses to go get it. Nor do you see any even like weak Neville Chamberlain negotiation party. Right, and and uh, uh, Henry's comment w- was something along the lines of, um, "If if you are not willing, if you're not willing to do the work to keep it, God will. You, you're not going to gain the glory. God will fight his own battles himself. Right, and hmm. it, it it reminds me of the political situation we find ourselves in." Uh, you know, one of our founders said, you know, we've, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. And we got so many Christians who very complacently enjoy the American life and say they love it and its ways, American ideals. They say they love the founders and aren't willing to lift a finger to keep it. Uh, God, but, uh, he either has or he's about to declare Ichabod uh, over these states. Uh, and one of those reasons is our, our, the fact that we're stacked past our eyes with dead babies. Yep. And, you know, uh, if you say you care about America and you've never put yourself in harm's way to do anything about our greatest sin, you're all talk. 
You're the Israelite. You're not willing to do anything to get the ark. The glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is leaving. It's being stolen from you. And you can weep all you want. You can mourn all you want. You can talk all you want. And you've got empty words as empty as Lindsey Graham's backing. As empty as the words of any politician. You're all talk. And, and uh, you know, men and women walked into the Capitol building on January 6th. And we're about to talk about that. And whatever else you can say, uh, the best of them, more than you, in their head believe, give me liberty, give me death. And I can tell you that because I saw what they did. They did something. Your nation has been taken from you and the screws are getting tightened even as we speak. And through it all, will you have done anything? Or will you have simply spoken with rhetorical flourish all the while with your hands in your pants? We have Kyle on because uh, one of his friends, former mentors, was actually at the, the rally. Mm -hmm. And so he's got firsthand account for us. Can you, Kyle, run us down firsthand account from, you know, if everyone's, it's January 6th, Capitol Building, some people took a tour. Okay, now, prior to that, Kyle, give us the rundown. What happened? So, uh, my mentor was there. He drove up from North Carolina, and he got there early. Uh, and he first told me, you know, this was later in the day after everything had happened, and I called him, check on him, see how he was. And he said, I first want you to understand that there were certain circumstances that led to what you saw in the Capitol building. The first was <clears throat> they were out there probably six hours prior. Uh, There's a ton of people out there and it was cold, windy, wet. Uh, it was cloudy, so the sun wasn't coming through, drying things up. So, But there's a general excitement through the crowd of whatever Trump was gonna reveal. And so they were sitting there waiting for it. Um, and then Trump gave a speech and nothing was really revealed. And during that time, the texts, or people were getting texts or looking on their phones that uh, Pence wasn't gonna do uh -huh. anything either. And a general, probably agitation, angst came over the crowd. And they started moving towards the Capitol building. And when they were moving towards the Capitol building, everything was kind of calm and collected. But the closer they got, agitation uh, began to build up. And uh, my mentor didn't know if it was because, you know, people were just moving and they were getting closer to the Capitol building or of... They didn't have the reveal that they wanted from Trump or the news from Pence. Um, there's another guy that I was listening to, and I guess when they were passing the whatever judicial building, there were people in there who were opening their windows, people that were working in there, and, like, giving everyone the finger, yelling at them, taking pictures of them, smirking at them. And that agitated the crowd more because they're like, we, we, we're the citizens, we're paying your guys' salary and you're just out here mocking us. <clears throat> so that caused a little more excitement in the crowd and they got to the Capitol building. Um, 
there wasn't a dedicated speaking platform or order to whoever was talking in front of the Capitol like there was in front of the White House. So, you know, you just have anybody getting up on the mic and that just generated uh, even more excitement within the crowd. And during that time, uh, my mentor said they noticed uh, the scaffolding was still up for the uh, inauguration platform. And people noticed that and they said, uh, he said three guys climbed up once they realized they could get over and uh, they started yelling for more people to come over. But the initial push for those guys coming over, there's no weapons, there's no, they weren't throwing rocks like some of the media has said, or they didn't come over initially with like guns drawn or whatever, pushing mm-hmm. the police through. They just made that climb over the scaffolding and into the building. And once they got into the Capitol, he kind of lost uh, perspective on what was that exactly was going on. But there was a rumor that was spreading through the crowd that the police were just letting them in. And hey, to that, I've seen multiple videos with Capitol Police removing uh, crowd barriers and using hand gestures to beckon the crowd in, urge them on. Uh, and I saw a video either today or yesterday of Capitol Police opening doors to the Capitol and standing aside, like lining either wall as people very slowly walked in. Not like bashing their way through like it's, you know, um, uh, the Bastille or, or some czar's palace. So whatever you want to conclude from that, I've seen multiple videos that I would find hard to interpret any other way but the, the police inviting the crowd into the Capitol building. Don't know what to make of it. it. Certainly fits a general idea of, huh, didn't seem that hard to get in there. But, uh, but keep going. Yeah, I've, into that as well. I've seen, I've seen other videos of what looks like more kind of gang violence, mob mentality uh, from within in the Capitol building. But that doesn't really answer the question of how they got in there. And so it kind of makes you wonder if that was something that was set up and they brought them to a point where uh, those things became, you know, more tangible. They, they saw opportunities and took them once, once being kind of baited into that situation. And so from my mentor's perspective, they were just sitting out there and he didn't know what was going on inside of the Capitol. It was just the rumor in the crowd was that the police had just let him in. And so they're they're like, he didn't know the scale to what was going on in there. He didn't even know anything until he got back. And the other guy I was listening to, um, John Harris said that, uh, that same rumor was from wherever he was in the crowd. Then all of a sudden, the police start uh, shooting tear gas, and it really confused uh, the guys in the crowd because, like, well, you let us in. Now why are you shooting tear gas? And that further escalated wherever he was in the, situated in the crowd. That escalated that general group because they're, like, they're just going to rant. They start arbitrarily shooting tear gas. They didn't have the perspective of what was going on in the Capitol because... Uh, they thought they were just being let in. <clears throat> and so, um, but my my mentor described that there was a 
you know, he was talking to people. Most people weren't from Virginia or Maryland. They were from, had come from out of state. And there was a a general consensus, he felt like, of the people he was talking to that <clears throat> they were there because they felt like the election had been stolen from them. Uh, they were there because of fraud and a sense of, like, give me that liberty or give me death because if this is true and the fraud is true, then our system of government is done. I mean, it's probably been done way longer than it is now, but, like, this is the final nail in the coffin. And what else do you do if you don't feel like your voice is being heard? Like, what's your other choice? And Mm -hmm. he said there's a sense of, like, the Boston Tea Party. Like, if Patriots going to stand up, what does that look like? Well... Standing in nature is going to be aggressive. And so, you know, what my mentor told me was um, we've been so indoctrinated in a feminine culture that any sense of taking a stand, any sense of aggressiveness is immediately, um, like, frowned upon in our culture. And that can go to the commentary of it. But real patriots, when they take a stand, it's going to be aggressive and look angry and what else do you expect? How do the people in the Boston Tea Party get treated after? I mean, and that that was the sense of... I, I bought one of them a Sam Adams. Yeah. After the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Yeah. Really good lager. Multiple really good lagers. So, all of that took place, and, you know, when, when it was happening, I was at work. I'm getting texts from you, Kyle. I'm getting texts from another friend. You're on Instagram seeing videos. Um, and then you're getting reports from the media. So we're, we're at a point where you can't trust our political leaders. They've proven themselves to be untrustworthy, enemies of the people. You can't trust the media. The media has proven itself, by and large, to be an enemy of the people. And so all the reports you're getting are from untrustworthy sources. The whole dynamic leaves you in a situation where whatever predispositions you have, assumptions you have, you can't come to quick conclusions because you have so much information coming from such poor sources that necessarily is going to mean you have to take a lot of time to figure out what happened and what you're supposed to think about it. Now, we can have some principles that we communicate, and we certainly have those, whether we talk about them here or at another time. But it was amazing how desperate, uh, you know, a guy's going to have a hard time getting a date if he's obviously desperate, right? It's amazing how thirsty so many men are in America to, um, to receive affection from that abusive boyfriend, uh, the, the leftist culture. Mm. to immediately come out with some kind of comment uh, as if you know jack squat about what happened. Uh, whether it was set up by the political powers of D.C., whether it was instigated by Antifa plants with a majority of those who went inside legit Trump supporters, or whether it was 100% an action taken by Trump supporters, you still don't know jack. A complicated thing took place, and, uh, <laughs> and, and that takes, that takes a, a lot of sorting out. We're going to take a break. 
uh, and and come back with a few more comments about this. Going to break, Sean, who's our sponsor? Uh, we're going to be sponsored today graciously, generously by the new COVID-19, soon to be COVID-19 Racial and Ethnic Disparities Task Force. Kamala Harris, thank you so much. Uh, gosh, our nation has needed this task force for a long time, uh, far before COVID-19. Um, and luckily it's not going to end there. It's going to turn into the Infectious Disease Racial Disparities Task Force thereafter to continue to receive government funding and hopefully to continue to sponsor us. So with that, we'll be right back. And we are back because uh, none of us here are brothers, if you know what I mean. We're brothers in Christ, but not brothers, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, I, I have to say, though, I do have Ice Cube on speed dial. Uh, <laughs> none of us are sick because we're not minorities. We're not colored folk. And obviously, this virus, it unnecessarily and quite racially prejudicially targets the blacks so we're healthy and we haven't had you think to... covid19 can penetrate the walls of point loma no it only oh my gosh <laughs> sean if you want me to act a certain way you need to not act a certain way brother so none of us are sick we haven't had to have direct care from this uh brother helping brother task force from the brother sleepy joe biden you real you real dog you real you real okay Okay. <laughs> Call me again. Call me again. Um, actually, Obama did give me a pass to say the N-word. Wow. So I'm going to have to pull that pass out soon. Anyway, uh, you real? You real? Okay. But we're appreciative of our sponsor helping those real brothers out there with COVID-19. Uh, get better Wuhan clan brothers. Um, so back to our in-depth and quite mature commentary. Uh a lot of thirsty evangelical leaders, thirsty for donkey cock. And so coming out with real quick, uh, real rhetorically flourished comments about what took place with a lot of silly assumptions. You got guys with terrible political theology or political theology. They're piecing together in midair, which is not a good way to fly. I mean, if you have to, you can fly United, but otherwise avoid it. Don't piece together your plane midair. You feel me? You want to have a solid political theology in place that you can uh, meet the crises to come uh, and not be piecing together. If you're piecing it together right now, shut your mouth until after you piece it together. Um, so you had a lot of comments being made real quick, uh, real, real happy trigger fingers, uh, even the day of, um, that, that honestly are, are not helpful, don't bring about clear thinking. And aren't going to gain you any favor from anybody you want favor from. So there's that. Um, I guess the best way to approach this thing, because again, a lot of question marks. I, I'll be honest. Uh, a lot of it smells staged. There were legit Trump supporters in the Capitol building. I have no doubt about it. A lot of things about this event smell really wrong and uh, were quite... Conveniently, I think she got a lime in her eyes. Gosh, gets you every time. Um, I'll be honest, normally I'm pretty impatient with tears and crying, but lime in the eyes, man, phew, I get yeah. it. I get it. It's hard, one of those hard things. It's like a couple weeks go by where you haven't had it in your eyes, and you're like, maybe this is great. You yeah. try again, and yeah. you remember, it just comes yeah. flooding back. Yeah, that and hot sauce. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, the results of it have been quite convenient for the left. 
So a lot, a lot of question marks I still have. But even, even with that, you, you have principles that are right. clear that you can analyze and not say silly things. So, right, so one, one of the things that was said, uh, you know, people have said uh, from a Christian perspective, quote unquote, not my president, right? That phrase, not my president, is a rebellious and childish sentiment that Christians must not succumb to. Yeah, so, you know, I, I had a guy um, slide into my DMs. Unfortunately, it wasn't a lady. Dude slid into my DMs and was asking quite like saying, you know, Christians shouldn't be revolutionaries. And I'm just asking, uh, you know, what is a revolution? We shouldn't be rebellious. Well, what, what is rebelliousness? Mm-hmm. And he thought I was just winding him up. Right. Now, he was a young guy who was a little too big for his britches. Simply with questions, I was making that clear. I wasn't winding him up. I was, show, I was showing. He, he was making a lot of assumptions about a lot of words he right. needed to define. Right. And so, you know, not my president, quote unquote, is it childish and rebellious? Well, it depends. It, it depends right. on context. Right. A lot of this situation is about context. So that, we can get to violence. Yeah, and, but even in you saying that it has to do with context means that in and of itself, it is not a childish statement. Yeah. You have to look at the circumstances and determine whether or not this, that's the case. That's right. So um, Donald Trump has been president for four years. Right. Uh, a little short of four years. We got we 12 days, 11 days, something like that, till the 20th. <clears throat> Through his presidency, um, many on the left have liked the phrase, not my president. Now, in that context... If we want to say childish or, or silly, you, you can say that because uh, he was legitimately elected. And so – To a being, legitimate office. Being legitimately elected to a legitimate office and not being innovative in constitutional vi- violations, certainly violating the constitution at plenty of places, but uh, not in any way that's out of the norm, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> whatever that office has become. Legitimate office – Legitimate election, if you are an American, you, you may think it's unfortunate, but unfortunately, he is your president. Not my president is a claim to illegitimacy, to, to fraudulence. And if you are making a false claim of illegitimacy, then you are being rebellious necessarily. Right. Because you are refusing to submit to a legitimate office holder in the abstract. Now, it's not rebellion if you are in one particular thing refusing to submit and, and you are in the right and, and he's in the wrong and right. asking you something wrong. But broadly speaking, you are refusing to submit to a legitimate authority that's been placed over you. And so there you see, well, that's immature and childish. But that's particularly in context. Right. When we're looking at this situation here, to, to claim that to say about Joe Biden, not my president, is rebellious and childish, uh, is to it, it, it's like saying violence is never the answer. Yeah. Well, when you say not my president is rebellious and, and childish, violence may be the answer. <laughs> there's there's two ways. It, so first of all, I'm counseling Christians, you know, in private messaging uh, and in our Bible study and whatnot, and, and a lot of things. One of the things I'm saying is never, never recognize Biden as your president. As far as it is given to you, do not recognize him as your president because he is illegitimate. Now, let's say we can get into another podcast because we got the playoffs to watch. But let's say hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, 
that the election was stolen. Mm-hmm. Not by Biden. He can't even tie his shoes, but by the Democrat Party. In that kind of context, he isn't your president. There are two ways to be an illegitimate president or an illegitimate politician, an illegitimate authority figure. Okay. The one is to come into that position illegitimately. The other is to wield that position so uh, characteristically illegitimately mm-hmm. that you become a covenant breaker. You, it, you delegitimize right. yourself. Right. So Gavin Newsom legitimately assuming brought into a legitimate office right. has illegitimately wielded it so much that he's a covenant breaker and right. he's an illegitimate governor. Right. Because when you're – On you're, principle. Right. When, when, some, when a, a, a people elect an individual – they're electing him to an office, and that office has stipulations. It's it's a it's a limited and specified office. Right, you don't get to do whatever you want. It's yeah. not a blank check. Uh, so Biden hasn't done anything. He's done plenty with the office of the president elect, but he hasn't yet done anything with the office of president. He will be doing things with the office of president, but he's there illegitimately. He is he is illegitimate. He is not our covenantally speaking. He's not our president. And likely, based on what he's saying, if you take him at, at his word, he will also be a covenant breaker in that office. So then the question is, who's the child in the situation? The one, the guy covering his eyes? You know, my, my brother's a retard, and he, when he's playing high seat, will just cover his eyes. He is huge. He's six foot plus, 300 pounds. Cover his eyes, you can see him a mile away. You can see him from space. I got Chinese guys up at a space station saying, Oh, who that? Who that down there? Who that down there? That's my brother covering his eyes, playing hide and seek with a space station, right? So, who's the child? The guy covering his eyes, pretending that uh, uh, the, the, the election wasn't a complete joke. Your brother's got great connections. That, that, that <laughs> yeah. men, that, that, that there, there are institutions that are stealing America 2.0. America 1.0 died in 865. America 2.0 is being stolen from you right now by communists. Who's the child? The guy covering his eyes and blah, blah, it's all normal. It's all normal. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. Blocking his ears, not hearing the facts. Is that, is that the child or, or is the child the guy who is recognizing the reality of what's going on? Who's the rebel? Who's the rebel? The ones steal, and this gets down to who are the revolutionaries? Where the revolutionaries, again, I am not, ha- if you pay attention, I'm not making an assertion. I'm not telling you what I think necessarily about those who walked into the Capitol building. Again, don't have the time. Don't want to open up that can of worms. Not interested in worms right now. I ate Mickey D's earlier, so I'm not hungry. Second, trying to watch the playoffs. Don't have time for that. No, ain't nobody got time for that. So I'm not telling you that right now. But people walked into the Capitol. That happened. Fake news ain't that fake yet. And everyone's saying revolutionaries, insurrectionists. Well, who were the revolutionaries on that day? Those who started the day outside the building or those who started the day inside the building? Because I want to say that those who have made a career of raping the Constitution and you, American citizen, they're the revolutionaries. The Bolsheviks in the Capitol are the revolutionaries. Patriots who have a problem with that and no one to do something about it. They're not the revolutionaries. Who's the rebel? The one stealing the nation? And the one complicit with that theft? Or the person who's actually saying something about it? 
at, at, at a minimum, complaining about it. Is that the rebel? I don't know. Is the rebel the one who believes, give me liberty or give me death? Who holds to the, the views and the values of men like Patrick Henry and George Washington? Is that the rebel? Or is the Trotskyite? Is the Gramskian? Is the Democrat? Is the Russell Moore? Is the TGC, the T4G, the evangelical, the no callous, limp-wristed Christian going along with the flow because I'm just going to read my Bible and pray and it's all going to work out because God's sovereign and I'm not going to do jack squat. Bark's going to come back. I'm just not going to do anything to get it. Is that the rebel? Don't tell me that it's rebel, rebellious, and childish to say not my president. If he's not the president, because he's not, it's simply stating a fact. Yeah, the, the legit, there's a legitimate conversation to be had over whether or not there was fraud. That's where the that's where a lot of the conversation should focus. But if that's established, then give it to me hypothetically. Yeah, if that's if that's granted, then not my president is a very reasonable statement because if you rock up. And you grab a mic somewhere and you say, I'm the president of the United States. It's not childish for me to say, no, you're not. <laughs> right? And Sean, that's, I am your father. <laughs> you know I am your father. That's the dynamic. Is it ever okay to say that? I am a woman. I am a pepperoni. You just have to be, do you have to be, do you have, a, have to have enough power? Is there like a certain amount of power you have to have? And if you have that amount of power, then you can say whatever you want. And I'm not allowed to say anything against you. I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like where, yeah. where's the line for that? So let's, well, if we can enough have, people go along with it, then it's okay. We can have a conversation about the legitimacy of the election, but if it's established that it's illegitimate, which is really on the table, that is 100% on the table, then... At a minimum, you should think that it's reasonable for someone to think that. Right. right? And so... Re, uh, sources to look into, uh, my boy Matt Williams, How to Build a Tent, to build a tent. he's got an episode, a really short episode on kind of talking points to bring up with your family about the election at a holiday. It was before Christmas. And then we've got... Uh, Thomisticthinker.com Skeptical of voter fraud in 2020 Here's your evidence It was posted on November 20th But updated November 25th And uh, the writer there Who I think his name is Gil Not, not quite sure uh, Gil Sanders uh, He makes a minimalist argument for fraud So he doesn't get into uh, Dominion voting systems uh, uh, Extensively but he's making kind of just some basic observations that all point to, to fraud. And we can get into those in right. another episode. Yeah, so you have, a, you have a legitimate conversation to be had over the legitimacy of the election. But you should recognize that if illegitimacy is on the table, then not my president is on the table as a reasonable statement. And one that Christians should, should not, heed. It's not only childish, it's churlish. <laughs> and then you, have, then you have, as you were saying, Dave, uh, another legitimate conversation over what does it mean to be a revolutionary and who are the revolutionaries? And so you have you know, a separate the rebels, the rebels in Star Wars were the good guys. <laughs> and so you have a separate conversation about how to deal with that. How do you act as the one who wants reform but is facing revolutionaries seeking to tear down the country? How do you act in light of that? And is you what happened and have no institutional power. Right. And and is what happened at the Capitol a reasonable or a strategic or any of those things a good way to go about that frustration that but if, it's, if there's a legitimate frustration there, if there's legitimate revolutionaries, then something does need to be done. And lawless, lawful, if it's in line with what these revolutionaries have put forward, means nothing. right? Lawless, lawful, like we talked about at the start of the podcast, has to do with the law of God. So I don't really care what, I don't really care what Gavin Newsom calls lawlessness. 
He is lawlessness. So what he says is lawful is by definition often lawlessness. Yeah, and and, and before you call um is her name Ashley Babbitt? Was that her name? Yeah, Ashley Babbitt. Before you call Ashley Babbitt, uh, San Diegan, OB lover, 14-year vet in the Air Force, which shouldn't happen, but you, legit Trump supporter. She might have heard you preach at some point. In OB for OB. Maybe heard me preach at OB. But that'd be sick. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Uh, maybe one day I get to meet her and we talk about it. <clears throat> she, surrounded by cops who were not subduing her consistent with a lot of question marks about what the heck was happening. Again, I'm still, I'm still giving you questions about what was happening. Honestly, running back the whole, I'm putting lime in my eyes two times in a row. I kind of dig the stubbornness, you know? Hey, lime, you defeated me the first time. I'm going to defeat you the second time. My eyes, fearless. I'm going to drink with my eyes this lime. Fearless. Uh, you got foiled, but hey, try it a third time. <laughs> Little girl, you might, you might get it. But Ashley Babbitt, surrounded by the police, not subduing her, only gives you question marks what's happening, then shot in the neck by a cop. Dead. Before you call her a rebellious insurrectionist, Russell Moore, how about you figure out what the heck happened there? Because I'm not sure if anybody knows. You got to explain some basic questions about the events of January 6th before you call this woman an insurrectionist. Are you an insurrectionist if you're invited into the Capitol? Well, I don't know. Were they invited into the Capitol? I don't know. Russell Moore, do you have an inside scoop? Or is the insurrectionist a party stealing an election and in the process of certifying it on January 6th. I think Donald Trump went out with a whimper. I'm not this blind lover of Donald Trump. I'm a fan of Patrick Henry. I do like the nation that was before 1865 and reconstructed America. It, it, it's got a lot of things going for it. Big fan. Would rather live here than anywhere else in the world. Catch me on the right day, Brazil sounds pretty good. Who's the insurrectionist? Russell Moore, I've shook your hand before I knew what you were about. I've shaken your hand. Your hand was softer than any girl I've ever dated. If you rubbed my face or my back with that hand, I would have had shivers all down my body, Russell. You're a pathetic weasel. You have no idea what happened. You do know it's a threat to your stability and your power because you're part of the very same system that's bringing down reconstructed America. Also, let's talk about those who want to talk about how January 6th was some grand threat to our sacred, you know, religiously sacrosanct democracy. Okay, well, again, first of all, if democracy has something to do with a vote, I don't know, a stolen election might be relevant to that. Maybe the, maybe the threat to democracy or the death of democracy in America happened before January 6th. But let's get something straight. We don't have a democracy, and if we do, that's a tragedy. Aristotle wasn't lying, dog, when he talked about republics decaying into democracy. 
and democracy is necessarily decaying into despotism. We don't have nor do we want a democracy because we don't want mob rule. So before you start pontificating about politics, get your politics straight. And do something that gives you hands a little bit firmer than some of my girlfriends. That I didn't have simultaneously because I'm not a playa, dog. I could have, I just didn't. Because I'm a Christian. Yeah, because I'm a man of principle, dog. <laughs> It's the same reason why I'm against uh, polygamy. It's principle. It's principle. <laughs> <laughs> you got your thoughts? Good stuff to have on the table. Kyle. Oh. Give me something. You got, you got some days ahead. Talk to me. Well, I think the important thing to realize or think about is who, again, who ex exactly is the revolutionary? Because <clears throat> I hear a lot of terms being thrown around right now that even with my limited understanding, like, oh, what was attempted in the Capitol was a coup. Well, I mean, that was probably the worst coup I've ever seen in my life, like, if that was an actual coup. Well, what was the actual coup, the guys who were in suits inside the Capitol already? Was that, was that the actual coup? And then I also heard, like, well, what is needed to take place is... Uh, this this needed to happen. We needed to get Trump out of here because he's a tyrant. Well, I think even that term has been so loosely thrown around, especially the past uh, four years, that we don't need. We as Americans have no idea what it means to live under a tyrant. Um, I don't think we can compare. And I'm not saying I agree with everything Donald Trump's done. That's what I was hearing. <laughs> well. Yeah. But we, you, there's no way you can compare him to Pol Pot or Mao or Hitler. There's or Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln shut down newspapers. Newspapers are shutting Trump down. Twitter's shutting him down. If he was a tyrant, you know what I'm saying? He's a terrible tyrant. And again, for um, why hasn't there been more uh, outcry on... Twitter blocked a U.S. president from his right to speak to speak on a on a platform. Now, granted that they're a private organization, so there's some questions there. But so is your bank. I'm going to shut down your bank account. I'm a private organization. Do whatever the heck I want. You well, know what I'm saying? And that's and that's what I'm talking. It's like okay, we're glad. I mean, I at least I've seen uh, a few on the left that are. Um, thinking rationally and they're like well i'm glad this guy who's been insinuating so much uh, rioting and uh evil things on twitter i'm glad he's shut down but then in this in the same they're like but i'm very uncomfortable with this because it's a slippery slope and i was surprised at how fast other conservative voices were getting shut down immediately after that and then parlor getting shut down well where does this end and where does this go to mm -hmm. is is my question like if this keeps accelerating the way it does we might actually have a chance as americans to experience living under a tyrant and these quote-unquote useful idiots that are being used like they think they're on the side that's going to win but as soon as they aren't useful anymore 
they're right next to the qu- the Christian in the gulag, and so revolutionaries yeah. operate. Yeah, it's not. <clears throat> it's the same thing as it's like uh, Neville Chamberlain again making the deal with the devil with Hitler. Like, oh yeah, we're good right now. You know, for a little time, it's nice, but then. Hitler understands his weakness and they just march right in, get exactly what they want and leave and just, there's no, he was, he was just using him at that time to get what he wanted. And this, and this, is this where we're going? And so to combat that, someone has to make a stand and, and where do we make a stand? Like if our government processes are, are gone and the conservative voice has been completely shut out, then we have very limited options to what we can say and how we can change what needs to be changed. So what does that leave? That leaves some type of, I wouldn't call it revolution, but like a a counter-revolution, like countering the actual revolution that has taken place. Well, all, all you need to do, brother is trust the sovereignty of God, read your Bible and pray. It'll, it'll just all be fine. Now, to your point about these guys playing, playing the odds, playing for stability and power and approval, playing to be on the winning side. Well, you know, we were looking at Psalm 10 this morning. We sang it. We, we looked at it in the preaching at Planned Parenthood. You know, there was a group with a lot of stability and a lot of power. Life was going really well for them. And the Lord broke their arm. The Lord broke their arm. Bend your knees before Jehovah or he will break your arm. That includes you, Eric Mason. That includes you, Thabiti. That includes you, Russell Moore. Okay. Lecrae. Those in the church by name, chinos, submit to the word of God or be submitted. Again, back to 1 Samuel 5. Talk about winning sides in America. Jesus reigns in America and will be praised in America. And if you don't want to have anything to do with bringing that about, he will certainly bring it about. And you don't want to be with Dagon when he falls on his face and loses his head. That's what's coming. You think your communist utopia is coming? You think your racial equity utopia is coming? The beheading of Dagon is coming. Are you ready? Go with God. Oh,